Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our study of this wonderful letter. If you've studied the book of Ephesians before, you know that there is a tendency for commentators and Bible study writers to focus on the topic when we get to this point in Ephesians 2, to focus on the topic of racial reconciliation. Um, However, I I believe that it's one thing to say that racial reconciliation is the point of this passage and that racial reconciliation is an application or an implication that can be drawn from this passage. There there is a difference. And uh, Jarvis Williams, who is the associate professor of New Testament interpretation at Southern Seminary, agrees He says this, or he has once written, it would not be exegetically accurate to say that Ephesians 2.11 through 3.8 is about racial reconciliation, at least in the way we think in terms today. He says the ancient division between Jew and Gentile was not the same as the divisions we know exist between black and white or Serbian and Croatian or Hutu or Tutsi or Japanese and Chinese. The division between Jew and Gentile was God's own doing according to his covenantal plan. And Ephesians 2 and 3 dwell on the fulfillment of that covenantal plan. But certainly we must say that a lesson or an implication of Ephesians 2, 11 through 3, 8 is that Christ united Christians of every ethnicity together. He removed ethnicity as a barrier. And that's true. It is very true. But the truth also is that Christ removed far more than just ethnicity as a barrier. He removed every barrier between us as believers. But the point of the passage, the point of the passage is that Christ, who is our peace, has removed every barrier... So that we who were separated and alienated and strangers and hopeless and without God might be united to God. Without which, and if we weren't united to Him, we would never have the opportunity to be united to one another. And when we're done, I think you'll see that the point of the passage is much uh, more specific And the application is much more broad than many treat this passage. Our outline, it's in the back of your bulletin tonight. We're going to look at four things. We break this down in the peace of Christ, the presence of hostility, the power of the cross, and the privileges of reconciliation. So if you would, as is our custom, let's stand together in the honor of God's word and the reading of it. Ephesians chapter 2, Daniel read the entirety of the chapter. Our text tonight are verses 14 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this your holy and errant word. And we would ask that you would bless the reading of it, that you would bless the preaching of it. Father, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that is here. And I would ask, Father, that the communication would be clear and that you would, by your spirit and by your grace, grant me grace that I might get out of the way of anything that I, that I might not be in the way of that which you desire to say, that you desire to be heard. Bless now our time of study. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're picking up where we left off um, last week with Paul explaining how the Gentiles who were once far off had been brought near. If you'll remember, he said because both of their condition and uh, also their uh, position. You know, they, had, they were separated. I've already said this, but we'll repeat it again. They were separated and alienated. Um, they were alone. They were strangers. They were hopeless and alone. But God had brought them near by Himself, to Himself, or to Himself, by Himself, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And in these final nine verses that we'll look at tonight, what we'll see is pretty much an explanation or a description of what took place to bring them near and what bringing near looked like. As we saw last week, and and we're going to begin at at that point where he says that Christ was their peace or Christ is our peace. As we saw last week, Paul uh, said to the Gentiles prior to their salvation that they were, were not indifferent to God. Uh, they weren't simply uh, just lackadaisical about him or about their relationship with him. They were living in direct opposition to him. They were in rebellion toward him. And they were enemies of his. They were at war with him. And so as a result, they were not at peace with God. Uh, they were not experiencing the peace of God. And then they definitely weren't experiencing peace among others, among themselves or among others. And they couldn't resolve that by themselves. There was nothing that they were going to be able to do to change that at all because of that condition that they were in. They were incapable of doing anything about it because of the extreme nature of their condition that Paul had repeated and, has, and the Gentiles had been saying over, and, or that he had been saying to the Gentiles. So the bottom line was that sin was a great separator and they were dead in it And in bondage to it. So in verse 14, Paul says that the only answer was Christ. He, in fact, was their peace. So he didn't simply come preaching peace, which which he did and which, which, of course, the apostles did. But he was more than just preaching peace. He was the remedy for peace. He he was the agent of reconciliation. 
It was through Him and His blood that they experienced that peace with God. That that they experienced it was through Him and His blood that they experienced the peace of God. And He's going to explain that it is through the blood of Christ that we experience peace and they would experience peace with others. But while the Gentiles needed to experience peace because of their nature, if you'll remember, they also needed to experience it because of the condition that they were in. And again... Who were they? They were strangers. They were aliens. They were separated and they were alone. They were without God. And and we said that that was was a hopeless state to be in. And so they needed to be brought near. But what did that look like? In other words, when we said this, in other words, they were not Jewish. And as a result, there, there was not only hostility between them and God, but there was also hostility between them and the Jews. But the answer was not for them to become Jewish. The answer was not that they were to... um, Well, the answer was, of course, the Lord Jesus. But let's go back and think a little bit just historically about this position that they were in. You know, God chose the nation of Israel to be His people. And it began back in Genesis 12. We're told that God chose to bless Abraham. Listen to these first three verses of Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him uh, who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, you also know Abram's family grew into a nation of families. And God told them as a people that they were to be circumcised. It was to be a visible sign of that setting apart for uh, for them to be holy. It was a visible sign of that setting apart that they might be holy unto the Lord. And after delivering them from Egypt, He also gave them laws specifically Uh, ceremonial laws that would uh, give them what they needed to approach Him and to worship Him once they entered into the land. So both circumcision and, and particularly the ceremonial law were ways in which His people would remain distinct. They would remain different from others. And so, in other words, God not only chose them, but He separated them from all the peoples, and they gave them signs and laws to follow to maintain that. And even the, as I was explaining to the children, even the temple at that time in Paul and, and, and Jesus' day provided an excellent illustration of that. There's an inner court where the priests went, and then there was a, another court where the Jewish men could go, and then outside of that was another court that the Jewish women could go, and then five steps below that was another court that was separated by a four and a half foot wall where the, the Gentiles could come up to but not go beyond. And there was a sign on the wall that basically said, if you come through, you know, if you, if you come through the door or beyond this wall into this court where you don't belong, you're taking your death into your own hands. Basically, what it. So it's pretty significant. They understood that they were separated, that they had been separated from the Jews, and they had, and, and so we've got this illustration of what that looked like. 
But here's what we have to remember. We've got to remember and think back to Deuteronomy 7 because it's there where we learned why God did what He did. In Deuteronomy 7, it says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. So think about that for a minute. The problem wasn't the separation or the differences. I'll say that again. The the problem wasn't the separation or the differences. God had sovereignly established those differences. He had sovereignly established them for His purpose and His glory. But as is the case, usually the case, if not always the case with humans... The Jews had taken what was to be a blessing to them and in reality a blessing to the nations and had turned it into a bragging right. They had taken that separation, they had taken that blessing and pride and arrogance and elitism took hold and they began to feel superior to others, particularly in their relationship to God. So they, they were the people of God. The rest were dogs. They had access to God. Others didn't. He was their God, not the God of others. They were the circumcision. Everybody else was the uncircumcision. But in the process, of course, we know they lost sight, right? They lost sight of what circumcision was really all about. Circumcision was always intended to point, it, point to a deeper spiritual reality, a, a circumcision of the heart. And so the physical sign was always to, to point to that spiritual reality. And, but they began to focus on that external sign rather than what the sign pointed to. And Paul's use of the language back in verse 11 kind of lets us know that he is pointing this out. Uh, He's not only describing the Gentile sinful condition, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, but he's also describing the the Jews' sinful pride and arrogance. He uses a phrase, done by hands, to describe their circumcision. And what he's doing there, by using that phrase, he's communicating the belief that like the pagan idols and the pagan temples that had been constructed by human hands, that their circumcision was useless. Because it was nothing more than an outward sign and didn't reflect an inward reality or a circumcision of the heart that could only be performed by God. So they had become puffed up and arrogant and prideful. Look at us. But let's be fair. Right? Let's be fair. That hostility by that time that Paul's writing was probably a two-way street. The Jews themselves, or the Gentiles themselves, had more than likely become arrogant and prideful. The Jews were prideful because they had forgotten that God's sovereign choice of them, of His sovereign choice of them, and that apart from them or Him, they would not be where they are or who they are. But the Gentiles had probably also developed their own bit of hostility in return because they were going to protect themselves and, and overinflate their own personal view of who they were. 
And so the hostility grew and began to take many different forms. The hostility grew. It took different forms and shapes and played out on several different levels. And racial and ethnic differences were simply one of those levels. And Paul could have chosen any number of those things to address or to write or maybe address all of them as he's writing this letter. But he doesn't choose to deal with several of those others. He, he chooses to get right to the heart of the matter. What is the root cause of this issue? He wasn't going to deal with anything that was symptomatic. He wasn't going to deal with anything superficial or on the surface. Let's get down deep and deal with what's really the problem. And of course, that was their mutual need of reconciliation between themselves and God. And that was only going to be accomplished through the power of the cross. Look again at verse 14. For He Himself is our peace, who made, us, who made both, um, both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul says that the hostility that was broken down between Jew and Gentile was a result of God breaking down the hostility between, between all of them and him. And what Paul is describing is a leveling of the playing field. Paul is describing an eliminating of categories. Paul is describing an eliminating of groups. And Paul is describing that because that's exactly what God is, himself is doing and exactly what God himself did. Brothers and sisters, we've got to remember that through the cross of Christ, through his death, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile that was so vividly portrayed, I was going to point to that curtain that doesn't do it justice the the dividing wall that four and a half foot wall that they would have had in their minds that that was destroyed how was that destroyed well the separation that god had established through the physical sign of circumcision and that the ceremonial law was fulfilled through jesus christ again those things pointing to something greater and they were fulfilled through Christ, so it was now Christ's work on the cross that provided access to both Jew and Gentile. The circumcision being that that bloody sign, right? That being cut off, and, and Jesus Himself on the cross being that bloody sacrifice that was necessary. Him being the seed promised in Genesis three fifteen, and that seed promised to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ. He was cut off. Him being the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice for our sins, fulfilling all of those things in the ceremonial law. Being that scapegoat, our sin being placed upon Him, Him being sent out of the camp. All of those things were, were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. As intended. And so the access to God remained limited in that it was only possible through Christ by the Spirit to come to the Father. But now that excess was available to Jew and Gentile alike. 
Let me say that again. Access remained limited in that it's only through Jesus. But now it's offered to Jew and Gentile alike. Gentiles didn't have to become Jews. Jews didn't have to become Gentiles. There was no mixing of the two. Paul says it was a creation of one new man, one new person, one new people of God who had access to God by faith through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was more, uh, I read one, uh, one commentary this week said it was more than a reconciling, it was a super reconciling because it was a super sacrifice. But began, we, we see what God is doing in the, ex, in the expansion of that. As God begins with a family and that turns into um, a nation of families. And now in Christ that turns into a family of nations. A breaking down of those things. And that's why Paul says to the church at Galatia, he says, But now that faith has come... We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So that hostility that they had each experienced with God had been killed. That hostility that they experienced between one another had been broken down. And they were now all one. They were now all in Christ. And, and if a Jew or Gentile had remained an unbeliever, the hostility would have remained. But if, if they were united to Christ, the, the hostility ended. Because if there was... There was no, if there was no hostility between them and God, there was nothing remaining through which they should have been hostile to one another. And in verses 19 to 22, Paul describes the result of that reconciliation. They who are far far off have been brought near. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jew and Gentile alike, now all a part of God's kingdom, all citizens of his. Neither neither has more rights than the other, neither has uh, weightier responsibilities than the other, Uh, none of them have greater privileges than the other. Both are equal citizens, Jew and Gentiles, both members of the household of God. We've been talking about this since chapter 1. Sons and da- adopted sons and daughters of the Father, brothers and sisters of one another, brothers and sisters of Christ, co-heirs with Christ, together. We have an identical inheritance waiting for us, equal access to the, to the Father by the Spirit because of our standing. And we're all living stones being built into a holy temple. And the, and the teaching of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles you know, were being built upon that. And Christ is that cornerstone that holds everything together. And whereas the temple was the dwelling place of God, we are now being built into a temple. And when we, meet, when we gather together and we're here in this place, God is dwelling with us. Because of what He has done 
for us through Jesus Christ. And what was true of the Ephesians, of the Ephesians and for the Ephesians, is true of us and and for us today. So, what can we take away? Several things, but I just want to focus on two. First, I, I hope we will remember that this is included in the first part of the letter. It's included in this indicative or declarative section of the letter because it has been accomplished. This is done. It is a finished work. Paul is describing something that has already happened. It is so. And the hostility between God and His people, those whom He has chosen, those whom He's called, those whom He's justified, those whom He will glorify, there is now no longer any hostility between us and God. It is a finished work. It, it, the, the hostility has been killed through the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through His cross, regardless of the past, regardless of our present, whether we're male, female, uh, single, married, rich, poor, white, brown, or black, it's broken, down, done. And there's nothing left to be hostile over. There's nothing left for Him to do because Christ... Uh, the work of Christ was full and final and complete, and there's nothing less for, left for us to do because there wasn't anything we could do for it in the first place. That has not changed. That has not changed. So second, that's first, we need to remember that. Second, because it has been accomplished, we should reflect that accomplishment in both what we say and in how we live. Okay? How we, what we say and how we live. And here's what I mean. One, our proclamation. Our proclamation as, uh, as believers, as, a corp- as, as individuals and a corporate body should be that peace with God, peace from God, and peace with others is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners like you and me in our place for our sin, thus eliminating the hostility between us and the Father. That is our proclamation. We should not cease or or shrink back from sharing the truth of the gospel. Christ died for sinners. Christ was buried. Christ rose again from the dead. The gospel. We call it the gospel of peace here because he says he is our peace. He has brought peace. He ceased the hostility. He's brought us peace with God, from God, and with others. Which is the second part of this proclamation. The second part of our proclamation is that people need to hear today in particular that the root cause of our lack of peace with others is sin. And there is no other remedy for sin for us or anyone else than Jesus Christ. Period. There is no agent of peace for us or anywhere, anyone else other than Christ. We cannot create peace from God. We cannot do anything to, to experience peace with God. We can't create peace from God. And there's nothing that we can do to be at peace with others in and of ourselves or by ourselves. The, the truth is that we can't manufacture the peace. We can't do enough of the right things. We can't have enough conversations. 
We can't hold enough town meetings, pass enough laws, participate in enough rallies, or march in enough marches to bring about what's necessary. The answer is Jesus Christ. And we must proclaim that. We must be bold in our proclamation of that. Christ is our peace. Through His blood, we are at peace with God. Through His blood, we are at peace. We have peace from God, and with it, we are at peace with others. And if Christ is not present, hostility will remain and should be expected. But with Christ, where Christ is present, peace will reign, and that should be expected. And we should be a part of that. Which brings me to the second part of how we should live. As far as it is possible with us, and I'm borrowing this, and I can't remember who said this in this little tweet feed we had going on this week, but somebody else should get credit, not me. As far as it is possible with us, and the Lord grants us the ability and the opportunity, we should live in a way that exhibits the absence of this hostility. And when I said earlier that this is beyond just one particular topic, that the application is much broader, I want you to just think about some of these things where hostility is present between believers. Between believers. There seem to always be dividing walls and, and hostility and barriers between Christians when it comes to men and women, when it comes to being single, married, or divorced. When it comes to whether you don't have children, have children, or have eight children. Uh, whether those children are naturally birthed or fostered or adopted. Whether those children have special needs or not. Whether you go to a home school or Christian school or a public school. Whether you're rich, poor, black, white, um, blue collar, white collar, uh, Democrat, Republican, or Libertarian. And I'm sure I left somebody out. And you can think of other categories, and you can think of other, other barriers and other dividing walls that, that exist. It was, it was impossible to come up with all of them and to focus on just one because there are far too many. All of them, every single one of them, have been destroyed. There should be no hostility in any of those areas because the reality is there are really only two, two categories, two groups. Those in Christ and those not in Christ. Those in Adam, those in Christ. Those who are not trusting in, or who are separated from God, not trusting in Christ, but trusting in their own works to reconcile them to God, and it's not working. Or those who are who are who were separated from God, who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to bring about that reconciliation through the cross, and it's worked perfectly. And so, all these other categories that we see, and everybody's arguing about, and discussing, and 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 the chaos. In many cases, we're missing it because there's really only two groups. There are people without Christ that need Christ, and there are people with Christ that need Christ. We all need Jesus. And I want to end with this little anecdote. Um, Having coffee with someone this week, And we were talking about the importance of fellowship and not forsaking the gathering together as a body and the need for that beyond Sunday and throughout the course of the week. And and I made the statement that I hope that Christ Church would be a place where people could gather 
And that when we would gather, we could gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and never ever feel as though in some way or feel any pressure or awkwardness because we aren't in the majority in the midst of the group in which we're meeting. In other words, whether it's worship or a small group or a fellowship, no one should ever feel awkward because they're not a part of the majority. Because all of those things, right, in Christ, all of those other things don't matter. The person I was with was single and we agreed that we don't need, we don't need a separate Bible study or small group for young 20-something. We need small groups that are made up of a cross-section of people within our church. So small groups that are made up of young single 20-somethings and those who are young marrieds with or without children or empty nesters, all from a variety of educational backgrounds and vocational choices and Lord willing one day socioeconomic uh, levels as well as nationalities and ethnicities. Visually representing who we are. Because of our union with Christ. Yeah, our differences are a part of who we are. Not to negate those things, they're important, but they do not identify us. We are identified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we could be a church that, that understands who we are as a new people fellow citizens together, fellow members of the same family, all a part of the household of God, and dwelt by the same Spirit with a part to play and a gift to exercise to the glory of God the Father, to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has broken down those dividing walls through His blood. He is our peace. Let's pray together.